Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our final installment, I hate saying that, of our second season review miniseries of Schmigadoon. We are on episode 206, titled Over and Done. And yes, the season is over and done, and I am very much eagerly awaiting the announcement of season three, because this season has been utterly, utterly terrific, just like last season. Let's get into this episode. Alright. So the episode opens with the return of the MC, Ariana DeBose, who we haven't seen since episode two, when she performed Bustin' Out with Melissa and Jenny. And so she now performs the number Over and Done. And we during the song we see a montage of Melissa preparing for the wedding with Kratt and Josh being held captive by Sergeant Rivera in the basement of Kratt's power plant. We then cut to Melissa, tied to a chair, and being forced to sign divorce papers, a marriage license, and a prenup, the latter in case she doesn't produce crap with a suitable heir, no femmes or fatties, as Bobby the lawyer explains. Melissa shuts down a classic second act villain reprise song for Kratt, and she pleads for help from Madame Frau. But Frau explains that she does what she has to do to survive, and that Melissa should do the same. Very much in line with uh, Fräulein Schneider from Cabaret, with the whole What Would You Do song there. Back in the basement of the power plant, you have Rivera, who has been holding Josh hostage at gunpoint. He then gets a call from Kratz saying, that he can go ahead and kill Josh, which Rivera is reluctant to do. Josh picks up on this and begins reciting fake parables to buy time and hopefully win over the conflicted Rivera. Meanwhile, Dooley returns to the orphanage in a rage and wants to kill an orphan as he wasn't able to get Kratt. Ms. Codwell, who has had a change of heart after the orphans gave her a gift in the last episode, dissuades Dooley by sleeping with him and proving her love to him. Cut to a post-coital Caldwell and Dooley, who are now very much in a happier place, and they even are having a moment... Cut to a post-coital Caldwell and Dooley, who are feeling pretty good, though the orphans heard screaming and were concerned there was a monster or an ochre attacking them. Dooley reflects on his happy moment, but then realizes that he left Josh, who was being kidnapped at the time by Rivera. And so Julie vows to go and help him. Cut to a mirrored scene of Jenny and Topher, but also in bed post-coital. And following their romp, the hippie tribe bursts in on them and inform them of what happened to Josh. Topher says they will go and help him as well. Back in the basement, Josh has continued to stall now by doing parables of his favorite movies. Dooley, Codwell, Topher, Jenny, and the hippies all arrive to save Josh. Dooley tries to reconnect with Jenny, but she still believes that he killed her mom, Daisy, and so Dooley resigns and resigns to kill himself and is about to do so, but Rivera has this turn of heart and confesses that he set up Dooley after Crack killed Jenny's mom. Jenny and Dooley are reunited and everyone heads over to the to the Crack Club for the wedding, and they're going to go break it up. At the club, we have the narrator who officiates the ceremony, Bobby, 
is in the audience along with other club patrons looking on. Josh and the gang burst in and attempt to stop the wedding. Even Madame Frau has a change of heart and stands with the gang. Dooley attempts to get vengeance on Kratt but trips and throws his cleaver at Kratt but misses him and instead pins Kratt to the stage due to his overlong tuxedo tail getting caught with the cleaver. Kratt now holds everyone at gunpoint and attempts to finish the ceremony, but a chandelier is cut and falls on Kratt, and so he is killed. It's then revealed that it was Miss Codwell who cut the rope of the chandelier using her handy cleaver that Dooley had given her. Also, when Kratt gets hit by the chandelier, she then sprays blood on Melissa, very much in line with what happened to her when she saw Sweeney Todd as a child, as a fun callback there. So, post-death of Kratt, the town of Chicago goes through a major change. We have Madame Frau taking over the cabaret club, as well as you have Revere, who gives up his life in police work and decides to become a drag performer. The now open-minded, uh, the now business-minded hippies work for Bobby, who is who is working to dismantle Kratt's evil empire. Josh and Topher now run the orphanage together. We see them doing sock puppet parable stories with the children, and Miss Codwell and Dooley now run a bakery together. Josh and Melissa are free to go, but the narrator and the Schmigadonians attempt to make them stay. But Josh and Melissa explain that they want something real. The leprechaun then reappears and reveals the narrator has been working for him this whole time. The narrator, finally done with his job, resigns his role to go live a quiet life with Rivera, who he apparently has had feelings for. And a new female narrator now takes his place. Then, poof! The leprechaun's brother appears, and it turns out that is the leprechaun from last season, and his name is Oscar, while this season's leprechaun's name is Stephen. This then is revealed that they are... And together, Stephen and Oscar reveal there are no happy endings, but every day can be a happy beginning. Josh and Melissa depart for the real world, and back in New York, we see Josh cheerfully teaching medical students, while it is revealed Melissa is pregnant and together josh and melissa walk into the city together for a happy beginning all right so let's do a josh and melissa check-in so josh and melissa spend a good chunk of this episode apart since josh is tied up in the basement while melissa is stuck with kratt but when they do get together we do see how genuine their connection is to one another that they are always looking out for each other they're always trying to save each other and they really do have this true love connection that we saw get cemented last season. Josh and, ha- Josh and Melissa's happy ending is really great because it tackles how there are no real happy endings in life. It's all about just making the best of each day and waking up with that positive energy to go out and make positive change in the world and have that happy beginning, which I think once again reflects how both Josh and Melissa went into this season looking once again for that ideal solution to their kind of gray lives they were leading in the suburbs and so the fact that we in the end it does come about that that what they were really looking for is a practical solution to life which is you know 
it's not always going to be the world of Schmigadoon. It's not always going to be fairy tales and rainbows and every day it comes out with the birds singing. It's instead going to be, you know, like life's a slog and not every day is going to come out great. Sometimes the bad guys do win. It's a sad but true statement. So, you know, it's one of those things of really reflecting on life. There. I do feel bad for Melissa this episode because while everyone's very interested in saving Josh from the basement, no one really cared about Melissa and what was going on with her and the whole thing of, you know, saving her from Kratt. So I did feel bad that Melissa kind of once again got the short stick here where it's clear that Josh was much more liked in this community just as Melissa had a much stronger connection in the last community, last season. But it's it was just something where once again, if we had a longer episode, we could have had some better resolutions there because... Josh and Tover get a resolution to their storyline struggles in the basement, but then Jenny and Melissa don't get a proper resolution in their storyline at all. So it would have been great to have like one final scene between the two of them. I do look forward to seeing how Josh and Melissa are going to come back to Schmigadoon next season, because it's one of those things where we see that they keep finding these happy endings or keep learning these lessons so the next season they're gonna have a baby so we're gonna get some into the woods references there with them and the baby who knows maybe melissa will get a moments in the woods song who knows we'll see that'll be fun but yeah another way this has been a great journey for them this season cash shout out wise i don't really have a singular person i want to shout out because everybody was terrific and everybody kind of had their little moment to shine and yeah, this was a kind of a great uh, accumulating episode where it wasn't just about one person. It was about this entire company coming together to put together a really great finale. So that's what I'll say on that front. All right, let's get into the songs. So the first song we have is Over and Done. But it's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Sung by Ariana DeBose, who once again has been very much kind of backgrounded this season, mainly because she was busy at the time when filming took place. I think she was out filming the new Craven the Hunter movie for the Sony Spider-Man universe thing. So I think she was away doing that. So that just meant she was very limited. So all her songs take place on the stage of the Cabaret Club. As we had her do her number in the first episode, then we had her do Bustin' Out in the second episode, now we had her do her third number of the show, which is the over and done, and she didn't even appear in the finale in this, this episode, so that really does mean she was probably only on set for a few days and they filmed all those musical numbers back to back to back <laughs> to get it done, so... You know, the song is very much in line with Dreamgirls, who kind of get an I'm Telling You moment here, with the, and there's no way, no way I will... Can I get that same vamp there?
this song and choreography are very reminiscent of the song Hard to Say Goodbye, My Love, from the show Dreamgirls, which is the big Dreams final show song. really pushing the action along like a book song but it's kind of like a diegetic cabaret number it's commenting on the action it's over and done for the season in this particular story the song is setting up the change of time period once again last season we our final song kind of ended with that changeover into the 70s era style song and this time around because dream girls even though it's set in the 60s came out in the 80s you know we're, we kind of get once again that turnover time period uh going from the 70s to the 80s there and i just gotta say ariana debose once again oscar winner ariana debose kills this song i mean even when we get to that big key change at the end it's just incredible i mean she does so much with such little screen time she had i mean once again it's just i think she had more to do because she was just such a wonderful presence last season and this season even though she was very limited this season then we have the song Something Real Reprise. I can tell just what you're feeling. There are things you can't conceal. Sometimes life can send you reeling. But what we want, all that we want is And this song is very much a reflective bookend to Topher and Jenny's version of the song we see we saw them sing in the tent together when they realized their love for each other. Once again, this seems to allude to the love song from Pippin. This also parallels Josh's big song from last season, You Make Me Wanna Sing. And all the joy that it can bring Cause you make me wanna see The town members interjecting are very similar to how Bobby's friends are forcing him into his realization with his big lead up to being the being alive. Someone to hold you too close Someone to hurt you too deep Someone to sit in your chair To ruin your sleep That's true, but there's more than that Is that all you think there is to it? You've got so many reasons for not being with someone But Robert, you haven't one good reason for being alone Come on, you're onto something, Bobby You're onto something Someone to need you too much Someone to know you too well Someone to pull you up short, to put you through hell. You see what you look for, you know. At the end of Company, 
We've also seen how both Key and Michael Key and Cecily Strong both have very strong vocal pipes. But this song really isn't about strong vocals. It's about the human emotion of the song. So they really didn't have to sing strongly. And I think that's a really beautiful testament to how this song works. It's all about the emotion, not so much how good you sound. A happy beginning. So this is the big final number. And, you know, the moral of the song is the idea that happy endings don't exist, which was very common in the shows of the 70s and 80s when we were really starting to challenge that convention a lot. I mean, some of the big shows of that of the 70s are all about not having that perfect resolution. I mean, company doesn't end with Bobby getting a date. It ends with him just becoming more open to the world of relationships, something he struggled to do. You know, a chorus line ends on a weird note where, yes, what's-her-name, Donna McKechnie's character gets the part, but once again, at the end, they all become part of a big chorus line. They lose their, individu- their uh, individuality. So, you know, Pippin's whole thing is about him being prompted to try and set himself on fire for one moment of glory. So it's one of those things where all these music kind of ended on a weird, not perfect to note. And that's the same thing here where it's not so much about the happy ending. It's more about, you know, it's about just tackling every day, one day at a time, basically. And I love how each line that the townspeople get to sing as, uh, as they bid their farewell to Josh and Melissa all kind of reflect their journeys. So, you know, you have Dooley singing about the fact that he lost his wife. It's a, it's a unwanted goodbye. You know, and I mean, I think this is a song that everybody can take forward in life. But this is definitely a song that stands beyond just the show. It's a moral for life, really. And I will say, the leprechauns playing the ukuleles were very much in line with, like, the Muppets, Kermit the Frog, singing the Rainbow Connection with his banjo. We also kind of get some blended endings here with, like, The Wiz, Cabaret, Company, Pippin. You know, a bit of Willy Wonka in there, too. I mean, this is just a great blended finale song for this season. And I do think this, all these songs, this is been, I mean, we started out being very much in line, kind of almost parodying songs from these musicals that we were referencing this season. But then, you know, we really did evolve and kind of create our own, or, they, or the writers really created their own songs by the end that really are more reflective of, of these songs of the period, which I think is a much stronger way to go about it. And I look forward to what they're going to come up with next season, hopefully. Alright, let's get into some Easter eggs here. So, Ariana DeBose's MC is acting for the Dreams from Dreamgirls, which they themselves are standing for the Supremes. And this is all especially apt because Ariana DeBose played the founding Supreme Mary Wilson in the original company of Motown the Musical. And understudied the Diana Ross character, so there you go. When Caldwell asks Dooley to wait... Uh, this is very much in line with Sweeney Todd, where Mrs. Lovett has the song Wait, as well as after they kiss, 
Dooley says, God, that's good. Once again, a reference to another Sweeney Todd song of God, that's good. When Josh is making up parables to stall Rivera, his two films he references are Goonies and Airbud. We also get the reveal of Dooley's wife's name being Daisy. And this is an ode to Daisy from the 1966 musical On a Clear Day You Could See Forever. When Blight and Jenny reconcile and hug it out, it's underscored by Mayor Men Love's ballad song from Schmigadoon Season 1, Episode 2, Somewhere Love is Waiting for You. When Kratz says, enough of this prattle, prattle is a bit of a weird word, and it was used in the song What's the Buzz from Jesus Christ Superstar. The chandelier falling on Kratz is ascended to the chandelier from Phantom of the Opera, and even this moment is accompanied by organ music and the writers of the show have confirmed this is a homage to next season when we get the great british invasion on broadway with phantom and les mis and cats and all those type of shows there with rivera going and in, going into being a drag performer at the end of the season his their outfit is very much a style of dr frankenfurter from the rocky horror picture show and then you know the whole ending with them trying to convince Josh and Melissa to stay is very much in line with the way Pippin ends, where everyone tries to convince Pippin he should set himself on fire as one final burst of glory. Uh, so it's kind of that whole thing of, you know, tying back to stay, you know, do this one big thing, that type of thing there. The new narrator, now female, is dressed suspiciously like Bettina Miller's newly female leading player from the 2013 revival of Pippin. And speaking of that revival, Ariana DeBose was a replacement for the leading player, Bettina Miller, when she left to go do Madam Secretary. And she started in the revival starting in 2014. When Bobby has the line to Josh and Melissa of Adam Up Kiddos, it's once again a reference to company when Joanne's character says to Bobby during being alive, Adam Up, Bobby, Adam Up. Or sorry, it's not Joanne. It's I think it's Paul who says it. Either way, one of Bobby's couples says that line, so it's a reference to company there. The Leprechaun's names. So we have Oscar, who was every day was in Rainbow Tales and Be Fairy. It's not always going to make a dune. The world is shown to be always going. It's not, you know, which is in the life. Solution named after Stephen Sondheim, who was actually Hammerstein's protege. The supper leading in lives, they were gray, like kind of to their solution. Ideal and for that, I can once again on an empty block and turn the corner and disappear into the crowd of New York's city street. And the final Easter egg I will say is that head writer Cinco Paul was in that crowd shot in New York. Final thoughts of the episode I loved how this episode featured several reprises. So we had Kaput sung after Krat died, we have the we have the Josh and Melissa something real, things like that. So once again, we're tying back to kind of what happens in these musicals, where in the second act, it's not so much about new songs being introduced. It's now about doing re reprises of songs, and then it's showing how far or how evolved the characters become since that particular song in Act 1. Even though we didn't spend much time with him this season, I did find Jamie Camille sold Revere's internal struggle that he had going on with him. But once again, it just reflected that really to make this moment work better, we should have had more time with this character. Same thing with Madame Frau. 
Uh, it would have been great to have him do just a little bit more in the beginning of the season. Just take that time, which ties into my bigger note of the season, which is the way we pace the season out, with Josh being accused of murdering Elsie Vale and then having the whole trial and then getting off. Like, I get we were referencing Chicago, but the problem is that the whole main thrust of the story is about everybody finding their happy ending. So, you know, it's one of those things where I wish we had, instead of having Josh accused of murder, they should have been more about them going through the city trying to help people and working against Krat, who's actively keeping people down, so we would have had more to do for Krat. Also, it tied everybody into stories more, and we would have also had more maybe one-on-one scenes with different characters. So, you know, then we could have had a Madame Frau kind of number from a cabaret like the what would you do number like that or you know you could have a number with Rivera where he does a bit of a a like a time warp number or something fun like that where you could have made more references to Rocky Horror there's something that you could have done just to kind of build them up a bit further and also just give Josh and some more time with the different citizens of the city as well because yeah like Patrick Page this season was so underused I felt so bad for him he had one really good song at the end of I, I believe it's episode three with two birds and one stone, but then he was gone for a bit, and then he came back at the very end, uh, episode five, and then was in episode six as well, but it's like, we needed more of him, we just needed more of his character to really feel that menacing presence throughout the city. And I mean, I really do hope we get a third season with more episodes and longer run times, because this show has so much potential to go bigger and further if they were given the right tools for that. So, Apple TV... Give them give give more. You could win a whole bunch of awards with the show if you gave them more time to really spread the show and give it proper weight and breath to really breathe and sink in with these characters. But on that note, everybody, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned. We will be doing a little bit. We'll be taking a small break and then we'll have some stuff to get ready for season five. And then we're on our way. Thank you so much for listening. You can find follow me at Mackenzie Horner, all social media platforms. You can follow my other antics with Cup of Hemlock Theater. We just did a whole two-hour review of theater etiquette and how it's evolving today in a post-COVID vaccine world. So check that on out. We will see you all in the next episode. We may have another review miniseries coming to you, all about another TV musical show, so stay tuned for that. All right, everybody. See you soon. Thanks. Bye! And it's over, it's over and done. Welcome to Chicago.